might just use this thing. No, I'm going to use this. I don't know why this is. It sounds really ringy out there to you guys, right? Yeah, I don't know why. I'll just use this thing. Can you guys hear me okay? All right, good. All right. I am thankful that I keep getting chances to preach. This is something that I haven't really got to do a lot, and so um, each time I feel like I'm learning a lot and getting better, but um, it hasn't gotten less nerve-wracking. So waiting for that to happen. But uh, it's also a lot harder than planning worship services, at least to me. But anyways, all right, so we are in Jonah chapter 2. Um, and so as you guys are turning there, I'll, we're actually going to do some, actually, really, we're going to start in, in Jonah chapter 1 towards the end of it, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, just doing some setup, kind of what, what we uh, heard last week from, from Jake, who did an outstanding job. Um, so one, we see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, right? So, so God is calling Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach to them and to, to, to relay the word of the Lord to them. And then secondly, we all know what happens. Jonah obviously doesn't, doesn't go to Nineveh. He gets up and he flees and he runs away from God. And so he gets on a boat and tries to outrun and, and escape God. And so, um, thus ensues, uh, um, all the VeggieTales stories that I grew up watching where um, uh, he's on the boat and the storm happens, throws in, and, you know, a big whale comes and swallows him up. And so here we are um, in, in Jonah chapter 2. And, and just even uh, as, as Jake said last week, the book of Jonah is not so much about the message um, uh, of Jonah that, 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 that he is preaching or saying to his people, but it's more on the life of Jonah the life of the prophet. And so just to sort of front load uh, my, my sermon, um, this is sort of an, an, an overarching um, application or, I guess, point to the book of Jonah and that ultimately Jonah's attitude is, is representative of Israel's heart. It represents the attitude and the heart of God's people. And I think, to go one step further, that we can see it in some ways um, as a warning and as, as the, God's word to us for our hearts as well. Um, so 2 Kings, um, interestingly enough, mentions Jonah, but it, it doesn't necessarily talk about him in, in such a harsh way, but it just says that, um, that Jonah is a prophet who preaches God's word to his people and in some sense that God accomplishes his word through him. And so that's interesting to note. And so... Um, as we move forward, there, there's two main things I want us to see today. And one is Jonah's pride. And two is God's providential grace in his life. So those are the two. So Jonah's pride and God's providential grace. And so like I said, um, in Second Kings, it talks about him as preaching God's word. And so I don't think here that the problem is the message for Jonah. I don't think Jonah has a problem of preaching God's word or even um, even preaching to wicked people and telling them to repent and turn to the Lord. The problem is not the message for Jonah. I think the problem is the audience. 
And so as, as Jonah is preaching, he doesn't want to send, hey, repent and receive the blessing of the Lord. Um, he's choosy with who gets to hear that. And Jonah chooses his own, right? The problem is the audience. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh to preach that. And so I think, um, as we'll see here in just a second, in Jonah chapter 1, uh, verse 12, that, that Jonah would rather die than be obedient. That's a harsh statement, but I think it's true. And I think Jonah would, would rather die than bless the people of Nineveh. And so look here um, in, in, in chapter 1, verse 12. It says, And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And I think it's clear here that Jonah knew that the waters meant death. And so I know my, my, my point here in this, in this first section is kind of harsh, that he would rather die than be obedient. But I think Jonah knows, it's pretty clear, that if they're about to die in the boat, then surely being thrown into the waters meant death. And we even see that. Look at uh, verse 14. Um, these are the sailors that are saying, And they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and, and lay not on us innocent blood. So the sailors know like, that this, this is impending doom for Jonah. And they don't even try to do it right away, right? They try to, to row harder to get back to land. But, but ultimately, uh, Jonah goes overboard. And I think it's because of his pride that he would rather drown than be obedient to God's word. It's also interesting to note here, um, look in verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And just as we read in verse 14, they're crying out to God. It's funny here that the Hebrew, the one who says, I fear the Lord, is not doing what he should be doing, but these sailors are, right? The sailors are acting more rightly than Jonah. They, they are at least trying to seek God. They're trying to say, oh, God, God save us. God, do not uh, have mercy on us. And so there even says that they're offering sacrifices. And I think that they're trying, in some sense, to be right before God. And they, I don't even think that they fully know how, but they're at least trying here. But Jonah is out, outrightly standing in defiance against God. And I think even after the Lord rescues Jonah, that he remains prideful. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So I think that there's a sequence here. So one, God calls him to go, right? He does and he flees. Um, he's in pride. He says, I, uh, throw me overboard. Uh, so he doesn't want to turn around and go but to Nineveh. He just wants to go in the water um, and be done with this. Um, and so then he jumps into the water or I guess they throw him into the water. 
um, and the fish comes, and then there's this prayer that we're about to get to, I promise. Um, and then at the end of it, uh, the, the whale spits him up, or the fish spits him up. Too much uh, veggie tails, I'm, I'm thinking as a whale. Um, but it's funny, in verse 17, it says that he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights before we get to Jonah's prayer and before the fish eventually delivers him to dry ground. And so I think that what's happening here is that Jonah's stubbornness does not stop in jumping into the water. It doesn't. I think that even after God rescues him and delivers him with a fish, that I think he, he stays defiant. He stays prideful. And so they say that there's the, like for, for hiking and things like that, there's the rule of three, right? Three days and three nights or without water and food. Um, that's it. You know, that, that, that your body can't go any longer. And that's, that's the point that your body gives up and, um, uh, and goes to the point of death. And so here, three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And once again, I think Jonah's pride is pushing him to the point of death. That he would rather sit stubbornly inside of a whale. Can you even imagine? It's got to be gross. It's got to smell terrible. It's got to, ugh. I can't imagine. I don't, I don't like guts or anything like that. And so imagine he's sitting in there for three days before we get his prayer. And so um, sort of a, a funny an, a analogy that I actually kind of tried to find the video, but couldn't really find it. Uh, there's this um, mom, I think on Facebook. And so her, she has two teenage kids that are um, arguing back and forth. And, and, um, and so like you know, most brothers and sisters do. But in, and to get them to reconcile, to get them to hug and make up, um, seems to be a, a task for her. So what she has devised, which um, here's a free, uh, free tip to all, all the parents. This is a pretty good idea. She gets uh, their father's shirt and makes both of them get in it. And so, um, and so it's pretty funny. So it's like a, a bigger shirt, and both this brother and sister are inside the shirt with their hands through the, the armholes, and they have to hug, and they have to dance until they make up. And so that's a, that's a pretty embarrassing and, and rough way to, to make up with a brother and sister. And so... Really, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty genius conflict resolution uh, idea with kids. So that one's free. Um, you can take that application however you want. But, it, I mean, it's funny, but the reality is, is that we all know people who are, who are that prideful. The people that would go through terrible things before they admit that they're wrong or they admit that they've messed up. And we see this in the world, so we all, um, we all know of a boss, either our own or, an, or others, that... Um, he would rather, even in some sense, be fired than admit that he messed up. Or, um, or even, uh, even parents that would um, rather make themselves look like fools than say, oh, I, I, I messed up, would you forgive me? I mean, I think, unfortunately, that in some ways this has crept into the church. And before I say anything, I'll genuinely say that I feel like this church is an anomaly. Uh, I love this church so much, I feel like there's not complaining. But we've all heard the stories, right? We've all heard the stories of churches that, um, that will get into fights over the coloring of the carpet or whatever it might be. And, or, or even, I guess, amongst um, my generation, I know that people would rather leave or find a new church than go to a church that didn't play the newest or hippest songs. Or there's a, um, a church that I knew that some of the older generation 
were very vocal that the pastor's job was to come visit them, not to preach the gospel in the projects of the city, which is what he was doing. And so I, I think that in some ways, pride is a huge, huge deal in the church too. We get caught up on small things and we would rather leave the church or we would rather cause fights, cause division than, than focus on what's right and focus on the things that need to be focused on. And so in, in Matthew twelve forty, it talks about Jonah and talks about uh, the people receiving a sign. And so in the same way that uh, we can see in the world how prideful we are, that's what's happening with Jonah, that he would rather sit there for three days wallowing in pride than obey God. And, and Matthew twelve forty relates Jonah and relates Jonah being in the fish for three days to Christ. And I think it's important um, that, that in the same way, Christ was in the grave for three days, but there's a huge difference. And that while Jonah was in a fish for three days with a hard, prideful, disobedient heart, so Christ was in a grave for three days with a humble, loving, faithful heart. Wow. That is amazing. Wow. If that doesn't break our hearts and break our pride, then nothing will. That the Savior of the world, that God, would do that for us. Wow. So we have Jonah's pride, and then moving on to God's providential grace. And so um, we're finally in, in chapter 2. Um, and before I read chapter 2, I, w- I want to make a note here that there's two sort of genres of Psalms of Thanksgiving. Uh, there, there's one that, um, think of Psalm 72, as a deer thirsts for the water, uh, so my soul longs for you. And, and there's great calamity, and the, the writer says that this calamity is an injustice, and God, make it right. Would you be just? deliver me from this. And then there's a second one that would be, um, there's a great calamity, but the reality is it's, it's due to my sin. And would you forgive me? And there's repentance within that. And so can anybody guess which type Jonah chooses here in his prayer? It's, it's pretty clear. Um, and that's why I wanted to wait before I read this, because I think if we read this rightly, I think we see, um, um, let's just read it. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your set, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, sorry, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Chapter two is genuinely a sober, sober reminding of, of, of the way that I pray so much. It really is. So much of my prayers are centered on what is happening, what is wrong with the situation and how I am not the cause of it, but God, you need to fix this. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing. It genuinely is. I feel like my, my prayer life um, in that sense is probably really shameful. It's been really convicting to me to read this and think, man, that, that doesn't sound too different than what I pray often. And so why am I including his prayer here? So we've already talked about Jonah's pride, but um, obviously there's still a lot of pride here in chapter two. And so I think that the reason why ultimately is because of this, his prayer here in chapter two is tempered with God's grace. And we see it. We see God's providential grace shining through. And so look at uh, verse three. It says, for you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me and all your waves and your billows passed over me. So Jonah knows who's responsible. Jonah is saying that God is the one who is causing the things that have happened to happen. But a little does he realize that even as Jake preached last week, that yes, because God is faithful, God knows, even though Jonah thinks he's running away, God knows where he's going. God is there and God is providing for him. And look, even, um, so one one verse above that in in verse two, it says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me and out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. And then skip to verse six. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And so, Jonah knows now, he he now views the fish as God's deliverance. And so I think, uh, and even like as as we, um, he he sees it as an injustice, but the reality is that what has happened is is a consequence. And more than that, we see God's grace in that he saved Jonah. He was merciful to Jonah. Jonah sought escape. Jonah would rather be, uh, would rather jump into a raging sea than be obedient to God, but God and his mercy provided for him. Look in verse eight. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Hmm. I just see such disdain for the lost here and such a love of himself. And he goes on to say, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. So there's such hatred for the lost, but love of himself. But I think little does Jonah know that in this, that God will use his prideful heart to go and preach to a people whose souls are thirsting for the Lord. 
And so, yes, we see Jonah's pride, but we see it here in chapter 2 as tempered with God's providential grace. One, to fulfill his, his purposes, and two, to protect Jonah and to save him. And three, to, to, to save the people of Nineveh. And so I don't think we can, we can never overestimate God's providential grace in our lives. We can't overvalue it. We can't overestimate how much. And, and as I think about my life, oh my goodness, I think of how much God has protected me. Even in my pride, even in my sin, oh my goodness. I, I look back and I feel like I had, even the last time I preached, I told you guys how I was as a kid. I was, I was not smart. Um, and, and yet God was gracious to me. Yet God protected me from myself. And turn with me to Luke 15. It'll be Luke 15, verse 20. This is in the middle of the prodigal son. We know this story well, but I think it, it ties in here. Starting in verse 20. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the son. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked, um, asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Look here, verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who, was, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So we've all heard this story multiple times, but have we, like the older brother, or have we, like Jonah, valued status, valued ourselves and focused on those things instead of on the things that matter instead of on God and so lastly I want us to look at God's response here it's simple it's short and it's sweet look at uh, back in Jonah 2 look at verse 10 and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land God is consistently providing. God's consistent provision and care for Jonah is evident all through chapter 2. And here it's clear that God's response is truly gracious. 
And we do note that in verse 9, um, we, we do have to give uh, Jonah some, some credit where it's due. And it's one, that he finally says he's going to do what he said he was going to do. So the second to last line of verse 9, what I have vowed, I will pay. So he goes through this big, long spiel, and then he says, okay, I'll do it. That's it. There's his repentance, although I don't genuinely think that that's sort of, I mean, it's sort of repentance. But, but the very next line um, is, is true and worthy of talking about. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And that is very true, and I think more so than Jonah even realizes in his life. God's consistent provision and care for Jonah is amazing. It's astounding. And God's consistent provision and care for us is astounding. Before we even knew, like I said earlier, when I, when I think of how I grew up and all these things, and that one day that God would call me into ministry, and then look back and see how much he protected me, how he protected me from myself. Even for us as believers, as we think that when we came to know Christ and we believed in him, and really before that, when he revealed to us our state, that we're sinful, we're, we're, we're like the, the sermon today, like the blind man who realizes his state, that God has provided. God has provided, and his care and his provision is ultimately found in Christ. What an amazing thing, and it truly should humble us and break our pride. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And God is gracious, as we see in verse 10, so gracious. And if we think that um, we're not really that bad or that we're, we're past this and we're on to something different in our Christian, uh, in Christian walk, the reality is we need to look no farther than Jesus. We need to look no farther than the fact that, that a man, fully man and fully God, came and died in our place. That Jesus didn't have to come to receive a spanking and then go back home. No, he had to suffer in our place and bear the wrath of God. So lest we think that we're, we're past this or that we're not all that bad, let us rem remember what had to happen in order for us to be made right. And this, this is a humbling but a joyous thing. It should bring us to our knees and break our pride, but it should also lead us to worship and seeing, oh, I will cherish the cross. Oh, I will worship God. Oh, salvation belongs to the Lord. And so this fits in in, in, in every aspect of our life, whether it's, whether it's work or marriage or church. Realize God's grace. Don't seek in work. Don't seek to, seek to make yourself great or make a name for yourself, but seek to serve and love others, pointing them that salvation belongs to the Lord. And in your marriage, it, it, we, God's word is clear. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. Serve. Love your husbands. Love your wives. And in the church, I think we need to do this as well. We need to be a church that, that serves others, that doesn't seek our own glorification, that doesn't seek, um, I mean, quite honestly, we shouldn't be seeking a status or even success and, and a numerical success in this church, but we, we should seek 
as First Baptist Church Fairdale to love the lost, to serve the lost, the needy, the poor, to show them that Jesus is their Savior and Jesus has made a way for them, that we should make ourselves low, that Christ might be made great. And so I want to temper that statement and what I just said with, with this and that we can, we can never humble or obey ourselves to heaven. Although these are things that we should do, we cannot humble or obey ourselves to heaven. But rather it takes faith in the one who has always obeyed, the one who has always been faithful. It takes faith in Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. It is not what we do that saves us. Oh, but salvation belongs to the Lord, and we see that in Christ. And in the next chapter, Nineveh will see that salvation belongs to the Lord as well. What, what an amazing reminder. Church, I am often so prideful. Even as a pastor, I, I try to, to do things that, that for me, I try to um, do ministry in such a way sometimes where I'm the most important thing. Church, we cannot be people like that. I, I have to repent and realize that Christ came and lived perfectly. He humbled himself, took on flesh, lived in such a way that did not promote himself above us, but came not to be served, but to serve. And in the greatest way ever, in a way that we can never fathom, that he would endure the wrath of God in our place that God would justly pour out his wrath upon us, but upon the shoulders of his son. Would that break our pride? Oh, would that break my pride? God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your mercy. God, thank you for your word here in Jonah that we can look and see um, an, an, an awfully familiar story of how we live our lives. But Jonah's words are true. Salvation belongs to you, God. And we thank you for your providential care to break our pride and to lead us as your sons and daughters to work all things for your purposes. We thank you for that. God, I pray that it would humble us and lead us to be a church that is focused on you and that is actively going and serving and loving the lost and the lowly. All for your sake, all for, the, for your name, all for the work of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.